What's going on, everybody? Episode 10. Henry, we made it. That's like a milestone. We really official. So this episode 10 is late March. Henry and I are back with another episode, man. Who would have thought we would have made it to 10? It only took us like about two years. So Henry, what's going on, man? Oh, you know, live and learning. Good life, all of that. Yeah. 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 Uh Woke black man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to get into the first thing. Uh, so this is a food for thought where we kind of quickly hit on topics. So Henry was the first person to put this in. I know Henry uh, was real big uh, when this first company got started wilding out. So H&M, um, they started using quote-unquote street art on clothing. So a couple of graffiti artists and street artists, they Can't sued. graffiti artists that disrespectful. It's street art. I did a whole project on this in college. I'm sorry. Oh, politically correct. Street <laughs> artists. Ooh. So when the street artists, when they sued H&M, H&M actually countersued, claiming that their work was a product of criminal conduct and that um, that the artists, that the street artists did not have right to what they had tag that's probably also disrespectful so i'll take that back <laughs> but basically um h&m is basically saying that because um the street artist work is a byproduct of basically illegal activity which is spray painting someone else's property mm-hmm. that they can then use it on any type of clothing that they want and then they can market it how they want um a lot of people have been upset with h&m about this it's been um what other people call it a reflection of artist rights in public spaces as the aspiring lawyer in the room uh, i mean because it's, it's like a weird thing because like i can even though i don't agree with what h&m is doing i can see the legal argument for what like why they would be like you did it in a public space right um <laughs> it, it can be argued it came to my attention because you know um my man's ti put it on his instagram shout out to him for always attempting to be politically aware um but i mean it's just kind of like you're taking my art and profiting off of it. You're not giving me credit or anything. That's just like them coming down U Street and, lit- they and can taking make, a mural. You know what I'm saying? They can mural. make billions. Um, it kind of started with the uh, LA artist Jason Williams, uh, who's like known for as Revoke. Uh, he sent them like a cease and desist letter early January about the whole mural that they took from Brooklyn, uh, and then after like. The whole street art community and a lot of, um, like, of course, T.I. and other famous people commented on it. It kind of started a controversy and people, like, protest the brand X, Y, and Z. And then uh, H&M officially put out a statement apologizing about it. So I, I, I honestly think it's, like, one of those issues, like, yeah, you have to go to court, argue this out. It should be fought for because me as an artist... I want to be compensated or at least acknowledged for my work, even if, you know, I'm tagging the, tagging the side of whatever. Um, but isn't that, I mean, before we move on, but isn't that kind of like the key aspect of it? It's like you want credit, but you're not, you're, even though you are displaying it in public, that's kind of, that's, to me, that, that just seems like a fuzzy legal argument in the sense of like, I want credit for putting something on the side of someone else's building. I mean, I want credit for my art because most artists tag it with their signature, right? That's just like... A but pain. is that legally binding, though? I mean... That's not... Um, you can't literally be like, oh, wait, I had a notary put a copyright. Do I know the statute to argue with you but, right now? No, I don't. But, but that's what they're but dealing with, though. That's, that's what, what they're dealing with. So, like, in any court of law, this is going to be arguable. 
because basically a law the law is nothing but two sides coming up with their you know what I'm saying own perspective. Yeah, and I agree. Pushing for my argument, whoever has the strongest argument wins. So well, not necessarily whoever can convince the jury to vote in their whatever in their favor. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the point is, is like it's arguable. Me personally, I think you at least tag their name. You know what I'm saying? Put out a post. Include them in the photo shoot. Do something acknowledging their work. Don't just like, oh, this is a cool penny. Put it on a t-shirt. I'm about to make billion. No. Yeah, I, I get you. But I think that just reflective of that. There, there's the court of public opinion, but also the court of law. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if these two were on different sides. Yeah. Okay. So from uh, this is gonna be the cheesiest thing I've ever said on this podcast. But are you sure? No, I just from murals. <laughs> To Mueller, uh, that was whack. That sounded better. You are This man said from murals to no, but um, really, yeah, to Mueller because this is funny in a sense. But it's actually like really serious. Like actually like really serious. Um, so over the weekend, um, Henry's president, uh, Donald J. Trump, <laughs> um. So he took to Twitter as he normally does and called for um, the end to the Russia investigation, which he's done loosely in statements. Um, but this is also comes with the backdrop of him changing his legal team and his legal strategy to be more um, basically aggressive against uh, the Mueller investigation. On Twitter, he mentioned Mueller for the first time, um, which is a big step because he's actually taking in on him on slowly by name. He claimed that the investigation was led by Democrats and Clinton voters. So I think the main thing I think that we should talk about is um, – one, what would be the ramifications if Trump did decide to fire Mueller? Because it's clear he's, like, thinking about it, I think. Or that's at least on the table. So I guess we can top, top tackle two things. One, what are the ramifications if he is fired? And two, what can Congress do about this? Well, yeah, that's what I was about to say because two different Democrat um, you know, leaders, senators, whomever, they commented on it. Uh, specifically, the one that kind of like stood out to me is Finstein. Yeah. Uh, he's the ranking member she. of the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee. He was basically like Trump don't respect it. Trump doesn't respect the Constitution or law, uh, and, he, and then he kind of followed up with saying if he does fall, fire Mueller, uh, Congress is gonna like step in and do something. What they're gonna do? You know, yeah, that's so, concerning. Right. So it's like, um, I guess to me, it's, it's kind of like, one, Trump is repeating, like his, his whole administration is just up and firing now. Amazing. People are walking out, getting fired, fired until you get yeah. fired. And then like this Russian investigation is just being drugged out long, like right. every, you know what I'm saying? Day always in and day out. So, right, it's always something. So I guess for me, this is just like the newest thing. Is he actually going to fire Mueller? I don't, like, he himself does or says things that he can't actually do. Right, yeah. So, yeah. Cause the process be yeah. one of those things. Yeah, because the process of him, and this is, like, really into the weeds, but, like, the process of him actually firing Mueller is that he can't, he can't do it through Sessions because Sessions recused himself because of his connections to the campaign. So that would just be like, that's unethical. You can't really mm-hmm. investigate something which you were connected to. Right. So he removed himself, so then it's on the number two. So Trump would either have to fire the number two or he would have to tell the number two to fire him. But it's like basically multiple things have to happen for it to work. But I think that what you said, which is concerning, is that um, Congress seems to kind of take like a approach of like, we'll do something if it happens. And like clearly like, if it happens, 
we're already deep in some exactly. in some shit. Exactly. Because, <laughs> like, exactly. what do you... I mean, first he already fired the FBI director who was investigating him. So, like, what happens when you fire the special you know guy appointed you know to... And, and then, on top of it, I guess this goes into um, him or him firing Andrew uh, McCabe. McCabe, yeah. McCabe. Um, and that's kind of messed up because bro got fired the sun, the Friday two days before that picture before hit. that picture was gonna hit, and that's like I guess the question at hand. Uh, and Senator Lindsey Graham kind of like called for a judiciary uh, committee hearing about it because that's the question: is he or is he not gonna get his pension? Uh, and it's kind of like why did bro really get fired? Like two days before, right? Like that's um, just like a theatrical thing. That's just so, kind of like a. I'm, Basically, I'm flipping you the bird before you leave. And, like, and the thing, I guess the thing that kind of is funny or ironic, Trump didn't like him from jump. From Yeah, he was calling him out, basically. Right, from jump. So it is with Mueller and McCabe and then whomever is next, yeah. it's interesting to see how one, this rest of the investigation plays out because has anything really come to light for real besides with that memo? That, the memo there have been a few things. People have, I think it's been like the smallest. It's not the things that are like, super get our attention but it's the kind of thing of like where like people are actually like pleading guilty right and th- there have been indictments but the fact that people are like yo i'm not even gonna go to trial with this shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like i'm i'll cooperate right, right, right so like to me like <laughs> and that i let you know something, something happened, happened. we don't know what but constantly like, constantly like okay fighting it but exactly yeah. constantly uh that that lets you, uh, i'm guilty of something that's why they tried to pay off that porn story. I hope y'all watched 60 Minutes last night. Did you? I watched some of it. It was interesting. But um, that's off topic. But yeah, yeah the point here is like he's basically admitting to something, whatever, right. being done. And my question is, when will it come to light? If it comes to light. I think that's more of a when than if. But I think that we kind of touched on the main thing of like, the ramifications would be like we would be put in a really on we'd be put in like a situation like where we've kind of rarely never been of like where clearly the president is acting outside his like legal not even his legal authority but like he's being investigated he fired the first person he fired the second person then that means that he's clearly overstepping his boundaries so that means that another branch would have to counteract him and be like you think you can do this but we're checks and balances we learned about boom uh, see national government government, you know shout out to um dr grant yeah there you go so now we're gonna move um i'm gonna let henry explain this one because this one's a (laughs) weird one for me i just thought it was funny (laughs) Um, i thought it was i guess it was funny to me because i've actually met the man uh, so Trayon White, who's a DC council member, he represents Ward Eight. Um, so y'all know it randomly snowed. Y'all know DC weather be up and be down. We don't really know. So it snowed last Wednesday, and he put or took to his Facebook. It was a video. He was saying, "Y'all better pay attention, man." Uh, he basically said the Rothschilds control the climate, and he and said, who, "And who are the Rothschilds?" <laughs> They're this famous, you know what I'm saying, Jewish uh, banking, family. Banking family. Um, they come, they got the bread, bro. They control a lot of stuff, you know. Like, we can go into that. It's a whole conspiracy behind their family name. But, but. I'm not with all the conspiracy stuff. But basically, he was saying they control the environment. Uh, and they do this to cre- create natural disasters in cities for their like benefit. New Orleans and uh, Texas for their own benefit. So, they can go in and buy the cities. And then in turn control them. 
like, ah! <laughs> so me and one of my um, co-workers kind of talked about this briefly. They was like, is this man on drugs? <laughs> I just was like, I mean, okay. like, it ain't too far-fetched, for real. <laughs> I'm not even that. It's like, it's just, he just, you know, he got caught saying some stupid shit. Basically. Like, he, he just said some, he said yeah. something stupid, and I think, like, I'm, even though, like, of course, like, it was, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I personally would not think, like, it was anti-Semitic. It was just something, like, a stupid thing. Yeah. I wouldn't, like, immediately be like, oh, he hates Jewish people. Like, And then that's the awkward thing, well, not the awkward, the ironic thing about it. I just think it's stupid. A lot of Jewish people, he didn't respond to any social media. It took him a while to come back around. Um, But then when he did respond, he said he has support from his Jewish counterparts and whomever. Yeah. So that's interesting. It is interesting. I also found it interesting, and this is like the last thing I'm going to say. <laughs> it's interesting that he gave his um, apology. He typed it out on the Notes app on his <laughs> iPhone, and he literally tweeted out. That's that was like many, his apology. That's how many I give. And sadly enough, his uh, half-ass uh, iPhone Notes apology was anything better than Trump's stuff. But next game. All right, uh, we moving on. Big facts. Big facts. Big facts. Shut us. Uh, all right. So this one uh, is actually really interesting to, I think, both of us. Um, so last week at a rally in New Hampshire, um, Trump called for the death penalty against uh, drug dealers. And I think that I know Henry and I both kind of have a lot of like interesting subplot stuff for this topic. But I think one thing, the first thing that I'm going to point out, and I think we'll link this, is that there's a really good article um, by a man named Jelani Cobb for The New Yorker who kind of gives into who writes kind of about the moment, but also other instances where this has happened with other public figures, mm-hmm. but also kind of its larger reflection on basically the war on drugs and what that specifically means. Exactly. And then I'll let you kind of say your initial piece, and then I'll go back and kind of go more into that aspect. Because I think there are a lot of interesting like wrinkles within this story. It is, because I guess what's funny about this, he the way he worded it, like, we have to get tough and get down on the big pushers and blah, 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 whatever. Right, he just yeah. ran. Um, it's kind of like, opioids don't affect mainly like minority communities. They, they don't at all. Right. So it's interesting to see him say these comments when whomever is going to be affected by it because when he was talking, it kind of made me reflect or like in retrospect, I'm thinking, Central Park Five. He wrote a whole boom. Article. Yeah, that was that's and, literally in my notes. That's literally and, in my and, notes. And then New York Times. But I, but I think that is important. Like explain like deep like that's like explain that. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like it's not it's not surprising that he would have these types of comments. Right. Yet, does he know who's affected by? It? Is it true? Because he wrote that article and all of those people were innocent. In eighty, in like in the eighties. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like. One, that goes to show he still has the same views. Right. Two, um, it just, again, makes me question the, you know what I'm saying, legitimacy of the, like, I don't believe in the death penalty. I don't believe that you should kill a person because of whatever reason, like, give them life without parole or something like that, but death penalty, that's absurd to me. Uh, so, and then most people are affected by the death penalty are minority communities. So, it's kind of like, what was his end goal? Yeah, and I think that's, and I think you hit on, like, the big thing of, like, he clearly has a history of this um, with the Central Park Five thing, and I think 
another thing, and like I think you kind of basically like I think you were looking at my, you were looking at my notes. I got my yeah, notes. Yeah, I yeah, know, I know. We did prep this time, y'all. We this is Chris. <laughs> it's um, episode ten. Yeah, we gotta come with it. So, but I think the important thing is I think location because like you said it um it was mainly around opioids and he was in an opioid heavily affected state. Exactly. And, and, is very affected. Now he was in New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I said New Hampshire. No, yeah, like, you know New England. Yeah, there you um, go. but I think that's important to know because I think that um, how we view narcotics and how we view drugs is different by like not only the use but also like where in the sense of like all right opioids. If you say like okay, we're gonna try to like get rid of opioids, like the like the flow of opioids. That's like okay, you're trying to go after maybe a little bit of the distribution on the street, but also that requires going after pharmaceutical companies and how doctors actually prescribe. Exactly. So that's like a whole nother thing, but exactly. it's like, oh, we're going to get after the guy selling dime bags on the street. You can like, that, that's, that's, an easy, that's an easier, that's, it's not an easier fight. It's an easier but it, target because boom. that's what kind of like threw me off because he's like, we're going for the big pushers, big pushers. They killed thousands of people and never healed it. I'm like, bro, do you realize... That's a pharmaceutical drug. Right. It's like a he, doctor yeah. had to write some prescription to somebody. And it's, and it's overprescribing. And, you know what I'm saying? So you can't just come and pick up Billy John, who, you know what I'm saying? He got runners on the corner, and, you know what I'm saying? That's not how that works. No, yeah. you literally have to, like, start investigating these pharmaceutical companies. You have to start investigating, like, actual cases to, okay, this person's being prescribed. Too much of right. this specific and that drug. take that all takes time. It all takes research. You know what I'm saying? It's not just gonna be like. And then somebody commented like, you know, the death penalty for drug dealers that's unconstitutional. No, yeah, like it, basically it's come out now like that. That's just that's not even like a possibility. You know what I'm saying? But I think, um, I think two things. I think one, um, it's important to know that um, Sessions directed state uh, attorney generals to seek the death penalty against the drug dealers. I think the important thing is that it does mention opioids, like you talked about. But then, and Jelani Cobb talks about this in the New Yorker article, but it makes like a weird pivot where it also talks about quote unquote violent street gangs. The war on drugs. So it's like, so it's, it's almost like it's trying to have its cake and eat it too, where in the sense it, of like. It's the same thing they right. did when they, they kind of, I know too much to just quote stuff so I can't quote it. But the point is when, it was a while back, I want to say Chris Tucker, but it probably was. It was. When they, they use vague terminology to box stuff so we can go victimize, harass whomever we want Right, where to. it's like you create the scope. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think um, another thing that's important to this is that like this this kind of behavior isn't like just specific like to Trump. Like how mm-hmm. we kind of talked about this is like a general thing. Um, Governor Paul LePage of um, Maine, he said this, I think, in 2014 or 2015. He said, and quote... These traffickers, who of course we know who he's referring to, they aren't people who take drugs. These are guys by the name of D Money, Smoothie, Shifty. These type of guys come. <laughs> these type of guys come from Connecticut and New York. They come up here, they sell their heroin, they go back home. Incidentally, half the time they impregnate a young white girl before they leave. Oh. And this is a governor oh. of a state. Oh. Before he lets you know. Right. At the end of his little statement. Why? Why? Right. Why? So I'm going to just leave that there. So, But I think that, that that's kind of like important to know is that though Trump is the 
like he's the person, he's the conductor of the train. There's mm-hmm. still eight more it's cars. People, yeah, behind it's him. people behind. And I think that's the most concerning thing is that though Henry pretty much outlined like why this can't actually take effect, it is concerning to know that there are actual like foot soldiers who are actually willing to implement it on smaller terms. Yeah, uh, I mean it's a sad thing that you know opioids is becoming. Like, no, it a is. It generally, it, gen- it genuinely is. I just wish the government would take the same steps yeah. of toward at least saying, "Oh, with opioids, we're going to take a rehabilitatory approach. We're going to try to not even like revive. We're going to try to right these people who are you so know, affected." Some, but like, come up with some remedy and not just lock them up, throw away the key. Or at least, if you just take the same approach to you do with opioids as you would with heroin, as you would with crack, or I mean, just take that same sense of like. We're not just going to throw you, throw the book at you, because even though okay. it seems like everyone's, and which is I think annoying to me is that everyone is, I think acutely aware of, hey, with regard to opioid users, we can't lock them up because we know what happened when we did that to black people, right, but with right. weed and stuff like that, we're still going to take that same approach. Like it's like you right. have like selective memory of what works and exactly. what doesn't, which exactly. to me is, <clears throat> we all know what it is. Facts. That's why this is big facts. <laughs> um, all right, so next we got the we got two big facts today. I think this see we something. This so, one got me like. Yeah. So I think, and I think personally, this is I think an interesting way. I think so. First off, we're talking about um, it's Stefan Clark, right? Stefan Clark. Stefan Clark. Um, he was killed in Sacramento unarmed twenty times. Um, by they arms. shot. They fired twenty shots. Oh, shot fired. They 20 fired shots. twenty shots. So I think what? So I think for me, this is I think an interesting way. Um. And I can let you talk about this one specific thing, kind of how I phrase the question, is that I think this to me was an interesting backdrop to basically our reality in terms of gun violence as black people, which I think was involved. I think this was an interesting backdrop compared to the March for Our Lives, which I think. <laughs> you hitting facts right now. Oh, okay. So I think. And I, I think this is the point where I would turn it over to you as someone, <coughs> not not to like say like as someone who was there, how did you feel about this compared to this? But I think um, this to me is an interesting backdrop because I think, and then I'll have a quote which kind of says which someone, which a young black woman spoke at the march, which I think is very important. But I think this to me is just an interesting backdrop of our reality. Not to say that black people are not affected by mass shootings, but our me and you, if we were to be killed by guns, it would most likely be... Happen in this scenario. It would either happen by police mm-hmm. or by homicide. So mm-hmm. our, it's like a drip, 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 drip until you realize the well is full. Hmm. So, you know, I'm very passionate about these things like this because these are reasons why I want to practice law. Uh, so just to give you a little breakdown, mm-hmm. 911 call uh, was... It happened around 913 in Sacramento. Dude was like, hey, man, there's a black guy... There's a black guy in a black hoodie, and he busts my two truck windows, and he's in people's backyard. Around 925, they had, like, helicopters out, flying around, do the dome and then the helicopter, the chef helicopter spotted a black... They spotted him, assuming he picked up a toolbar, um, and he broke into one, someone's home, and then they reported to the police who, who were on the ground, a man climbed the fence, entered somebody's house. All of that went down, um... And then the helicopter spotted him in his own backyard, which I'm assuming they didn't know. And the police kind of cornered him there, and they began 20 shots. 
My problem with this is, you know, of course they we assumed it was a gun. Yeah. Um, and that's just problematic. And then I guess I'm even more so bothered because the experts it said it was it was it was a mix of opinions. Um, the one I agree with most was from a criminologist at the University of South Carolina because he was basically saying it doesn't look just, it doesn't look good. Um, the yelling of the word gun, gun, gun seems to trigger like the police to pull their like triggers to fire on this man. Uh, so to me, it doesn't reasonably make sense to fire 20 shots on a person whom he could have had an armed weapon, whatever the case may be. But I'm assuming you're a police, you're on ground, you're pursuing a, a potential harm to the community. Yeah. You have on a uh, some type of vest of protection to where if he did fire off on you, you would not be killed. You may be armed, you know what I'm saying, harmed a little bit, but you're not going to be killed. It was right. unreasonable and unjust for you to fire 20 shots on a person you assumed had a gun when you could not directly say, that's a gun, this is the type, you couldn't identify. Y'all were more than 10 feet, or 10 feet away. It's nine something at night, it's dark. You can't really right. see what was going on. And his grandma put out a video. Like, I seen one video. It was most of videos. But she was literally sobbing in tears. Like, she couldn't come to words. She was barely coming to words because she couldn't understand why they couldn't use different methods to apprehend him besides a gun. They could have used a taser. They could have did any other method besides gunning this man down 20 times in his own backyard. And I think... Um... I think what's difficult about this is because you said the word reasonable, and um, this will probably be a statute that's either talked about probably in the actual case when this actually does go to trial, assuming. Mm -hmm. um, it's California Penal Code um, 835A. It says, and quote, any officer, or any, off, any peace officer, that's, I just put officer, any officer who has reasonable cause that the person to be arrested has committed a public offense may use reasonable force to affect the arrest, to prevent escape, or to overcome resistance. So the key thing is, what is the definition of reason? And that's what the lawyers were going to court to argue, and that's why I want to practice law so bad, because literally it's nothing besides an argument of words. Like, who defines reasonable? When you go look up the yeah, definition of it's, reasonable, this is reasonable. In this situation, that, that's difficult though because it's kind of no. But I'm, I'm talking about how. But this is how stuff. This is how the judge and this is how juries and this is how the court interprets it. Is that it's like saying, okay, this is what we. This is my definition of what we define as reasonable. But, right. but it's the kind of thing of like where, and we talked about this like in administrative law, like where if a federal agency does something, judicial authority is normally just automatically given mm -hmm. like you just have discretion to kind of like do this what you want to do basically so that's that that is a difficult thing is that it's almost like you we me and you can talk about like within reason the person died that was not within right. rightful reason without right. without confirmation right. we could like talk about that but actual how the courts and just how like the word how basically deference is automatically given to law enforcement exactly that's exactly. kind of like a thing where it's like that's in this but it's also just like a larger practice that we need to and that's of. the problem with this is this particular situation and every situation that continues to happen on black and brown people dealing with police officers because as you just stated they're automatically giving up he may have 
you just by the slightest did something wrong. So this police officer, you can, you know, unpaid leave for two weeks and then come back and you sit at the desk for a month and then you're back shooting kids again. Like what? The issue just can't continue to persist. But I mean, we can kind of lead this into the next topic because I'm fight march out march for our lives. First of all, you just throw the whole Black Lives Matter movement, but we can get on that when we talk about that topic. The point here is, like you're saying, is it, it, it continue, continuously police officers, officers of the court, whomever is on the government side is given the upper hand and you just get to a government off. official. Right. And you're saying you just slapped on the wrist. But my son, my 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 nephew, my brother, my cousin, my neighbor is shot dead. We burying him. Like what? And no That's, one's, yeah, no one's taking responsibility. No, there's that. no responsibility. No nobody's taking responsibility. And the bigger issue is nothing's really being done about it. Yeah, and I th- that's, I think, the difficult part is because I'm trying to see this differently in the terms that we've always talked about. Like, oh, this one, like, this one's going to be different. And it's, it's like... It's the same... It's, it's the same... Repeatedly the, same, the same, thing. same thing. And that's what, I guess, this can lead into the March for Our Lives. I was there. Um, mm-hmm. 200,000 people were reported to be there. In D.C. alone. In D.C. In by D.C. itself. Alone. I was irritated. Yeah. To a great extent because when we talk March for Our Lives, you you're only thinking about gun control in the sense of mass shootings. But if you want to talk is, about gun control, that's police brutality, that's homicides, that's suicide, suicide. You know what I'm saying? Anything dealing with a gun is gun control. Therefore, if you're gonna march for our lives, ensure that that same energy is kept up when you talk about Black lives and Hispanic lives and whomever else. Because it was to me that was a that's literally a racial like it, that that's what divides police brutality and all our issues against this gun control issue is the racial like you know what I'm saying I can't think of my words right now because I'm yeah but basically it's a racial di- divide to me yeah because at the march. Because who yeah. did I my majority see? You know, you know those people. And then one guy took it upon himself to say, "I'm with the Second Amendment, but don't aim your gun at me." Like that was his poster. I'm like, what kind of logical sense does that? I mean, I feel make? like you can have it. Not to say, not. I mean, that's a weird art. That's what he's doing is weird. I mean, you can have it. You can have it both ways in a responsible sense, but I feel like. Or I feel as if, one, you pointed out differently, that there are multiple, different portions of gun violence affect different people in different ways. Uh-huh. So in the sense of, historically, mass shootings are normally, the offenders of mass shootings are normally white males, who most times they impact other white people. And But also, but there's a difference. Because and it's also tied to mental illnesses. You might want to put that in there. Not most always, of most of them, but not, not, but not all, not all. There's a key distinction, but I think other times, then there's the issue of suicides. The majority of offenders and those impacted are also white males. Like people don't realize that gun violence, that a strong majority of the people who are, who basically lose their lives to technically things of death by gun, it's either by suicides or by homicides. Meanwhile, homicides affect black men our age 
So you have basically three separate problems, but all of the energy is focused on the thing that happens the least percent of the time. Exactly. Where suicides happen multiple times on the daily, on the hour. Homicides happen every single day by a gun. Whether it's, and I think this was a good quote, um, 11-year-old Naomi Walker from Virginia. Oh, you yeah. looking at my notes. Okay, whatever, bro. Um, she said, acknowledge and represent the African-American girls whose stories don't make the front page of the newspaper, whose stories don't lead on the evening news. And I think that's another aspect of that, Normie, when we talk about black people in gun violence, we always focus on black men in homicides. We don't focus on black women in homicides. We don't focus on black women in possible domestic disputes that have guns involved. Mm -hmm. So I think that to me, and I like that certain people highlighted this, but that there's a broader scope that we also need to adjust that happens every single day. Because though mass shootings happen, it's not like, there's not a Parkland, Florida every week. But... Since 2018, I don't know, but... No, no, but but like, you know what I mean. They're not... Someone's not going into a school every week with a gun. Right. But every, every day, there's someone... And it doesn't have to be in like those typical like cities that Trump would mention. It can happen in Washington D.C. It can happen in Douglasville. It can happen in Nassau County, New York. But you know what I mean. But that but that displays the point in that every day, black people are losing their lives due to guns, and an issue that we have to talk about because it's not it's not just as cut and dry as a sense of remove bump stocks or get rid of assault weapons. That doesn't affect the issue that we're facing. Exactly. And, and I think that's that's the issue that we need to talk about is we have to have a conversation about everything, but we're focusing, like I said, we're focusing on the thing that, that happens. Specific that thing. one specific yeah. aspect that will not impact our communities, that won't impact us. Which that's I think is a key, yeah. which is why I can understand if you were frustrated. That's by the literally why I was frustrated. Um, I mean, I enjoyed the march. It was great to be here. Oh, shout out to Yolanda Renee King and mm-hmm. Marquez, niece yeah. or granddaughter. Granddaughter. I'm sorry. granddaughter. She was there and her dream is for gun free climate, so let's see if that happens. But besides that, uh, I was irritated. And this stupid girl threw up on the stage and started screaming. Yeah, I'm so and then this other man is like, We should arm our teachers. It was that's what irritated me more because the message was not clear. It was no clear message as to this is our agenda. This Here's is what, what we're we fighting wanted. for. Exactly. It was just like, we're mad because this keeps happening. We're mad because this keeps happening. We have to take action now. What? Like, if we want to go back to St. Louis when Mike Brown's situation happened in those protests, y'all had the SWAT team out there gunning us down, spraying us down. Like, what? It's the same types of protests, yet you get a national fucking stage. You have... Artist Kanye was here. That annoyed me. DJ Khaled was... I'm like, bro, like, that's why I'm more annoyed because this has become a national issue and is being pushed on a national agenda when we deal with this on a daily, daily basis. We've been talking about this for years and years to come, yet nothing... No, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I forgot what the stat was, but it said... Um, it was someone who kind of tried to mention what you were talking about, and they said that in between the Las Vegas shooting where, like, that was the worst in history and the Parkland shooting... X amount of people have lost their lives to suicide. X amount of people have lost their lives to homicide. Mm-hmm. And it's saying that, I mean, one, the number is like exponentially greater, yes. but it's just talking about how we can, we, we need to have a conversation about mass shootings. Like that needs to be a conversation because that it should not be that easy. Right. But there's also another, not even to say a more important conversation, but there's a, 
there's a consistent thing that's happening that we're not addressing, and I think that's that's something that I think that we need to address. So now, uh, heads up, <laughs> you know, do what Tom, yeah, yeah. Hey, so you know what I'm saying? You know I love Meat Mill. He going through whatever. So free me, uh, like free me. This ain't really got nothing to do with me, but I'm. It brought my attention because of me. So Larry Krasner, who is the new district attorney in uh, <clears throat> Philadelphia, we kind of gave y'all a rundown last time of how he released the names of like police and people who work within the government who could have contributed to like mass or mass incarceration, to say the least. Uh, he's a person, he was a civil rights attorney for a while. He was just nominated in November. Um, his thing is, I'm fighting mass incarceration. Uh, so when he was like doing his whole um, run or whatever, he was again, he rejected the death penalty, stop and frisk, cash bills, and other mess- methods that are uh, disproportionately affecting black and brown communities. Uh, and he's also kind of like advocated for his assistant district attorneys not to, um, Excuse me, I'm sorry. Not to charge people for possessions of marijuana, regardless of the weight. And since January of 2018, he's released or dropped uh, 50 marijuana charges. So I'm curious to see what Krasner does up there in PA, because you know he just fired 31 prosecutors that weren't for his whole agenda. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and I think um, it does relate to the Meek thing, because um, Governor Wolf of Pennsylvania, he supported his release, but it's also tied to the fact that, one, he's... I mean, his jurisdiction is literally the city of Pennsylvania. Right. But also, there's a pending bill to fix a lot of the um, issues in the legal system that Meek brought up in a Rolling Stone interview, which you sent to me, um, which we can also put in there because I think that's important. So, um, this is all kind of like, it's. it seems like it's a lot of different things, but it's all kind of related under one where, you know, Meek Mill was put in back in jail for violation of probation because of this, the Philadelphia PA, he's trying to do, or the Philadelphia, yeah, the Philadelphia DA, not yeah, PA. Yeah. Well, he's trying to fix these issues that are largely in the state bill, which are trying to fix issues that's, that basically involve arrest, trial, sentencing, incarceration, and release. So it's all kind of tied together in basically why Meek is in. Like, Meek, we're using Meek Mill because he's a broader reflection of the issue. Right. And his kind of personal struggles that he's had within the system. Um, so that's just something to be uh, to look out for, especially the DA, because it's very rare that a DA really tries to be very vocal exactly. about uh, it. Um, yeah, so that's just important. And I think, um, yeah, so watch out for that. Yeah. Up next, um, so we also have black women who are taking charge in Alabama, as they should. Um, so this is something to watch out for in November, so everybody go vote. Um, so after basically... I'm not even going to say basically. After leading the defeat uh, against Roy of Roy Moore. You got to um, basically. Yeah, basically. They did. They did. They yeah. did. Um, so basically, since black women led um, the defeat of Roy Moore, um, they're basically saying, hey, we deserve, not even that, we have earned our shot, our chance. So basically, black women are now running for, for state and local office in Alabama in the highest numbers. And I think this kind of gets to something that Henry and I have tried to talk about for a long time of, basically trying to promote black people, especially black women who are running about for office. Time, about that time. Yeah, and I think what that... What we're reclaiming? No, that was... Maxine, uh, Maxine Roy, 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 slip up, edit that. Um, but no, I think on a, like, on a real important note, I think that um, for black women, especially, I think this is like... In Alabama. In Alabama, but just in general, I think because black women in terms of 
Democrat one, I think in general, in terms of democratic like politics, black party. women have been the party. like party. literally at the head forefront. at the forefront time. because one, if you want a very progressive member of Congress, the best way to do it is to elect a black woman. Amen. If you want someone who's gonna stand up for like better education, better health care, the best way to do it is to like the black woman. Bro, you go get you some black girl magic and call it a and day. Call it right? a day. But I but I think like on a like on a real serious tip, and I know me and you have like talked about it, is that it's time for voters of the Democratic Party to mm-hmm. not even reward, but to elect those who are at the forefront of their movements, both seen and unseen. And they're actually doing their jobs and getting or attempting to cause change. Right. Because if black if support of black women dipped by three percent nationally we're having a different conversation about where the party goes because they are literally the ones who are not only voting themselves but getting other people out to vote so i think that for black women this is key and i think that for other voters of the democratic party in alabama but also nationally get with it like 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 actually like recognize who is who is leading the party, but also who your party is. Right. And that you can't just be trying to get, oh, mothers of the movement, you can't try to, like, cozy to them without actually, one, understanding their issues, but actually propping them up. So that goes to other elected officials and other party leaders to basically be like, these black women, put them, give them everything they need, because oftentimes women don't get the resources that men get when they run, especially black women. Exactly. So, and I think that's why every time we do, we try to shout out Stacey Abrams. <laughs> hey, she <laughs> out there in my home state too, so y'all know what I'm saying? So I think that's, but I think that's like a really important thing is that black women have earned it. Black women have led the fight even when the attention wasn't on them. Yeah. And now they're trying to lead the fight themselves. And I think for us as black men, it's our job to prop to them up them and, and prop them up. We because we know for a fact that if they get in office, there are we already know what team they're on. So I think that's 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 important. Um the last thing, unless Henry got something to add, I'll give you guys something to add to that. Nah, I don't bet. Um, yeah, I know. This 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 efficiency. Um the so last thing, um, I know we've always been on the side of Kaepernick and we've always tried to talk about his historical legacy, but also just kind of like the sacrifice that he actually gave. Um, so this week, the NFL owners are voting on their $89 million social aid package. It's going to pass. It's pretty much likely, but they're going to vote on it this week at their owners meetings. Um, so this basically stems from Kaepernick kneeling, basically saying that the anthem doesn't represent what I represent or what I, I think the United States should be. Um, so in that $89 million, one interesting thing, um, which might actually piss some people off, but I think for us it's actually very interesting, because Henry's talked about them, so, you know, we just tying everything together here, you know, we do our homework sometimes. Um, so $25 million of that package is for Van Jones's organization, Dream Corps. Um, so Dream Corps attempts to reduce the jail population, but also promote blacks in the tech and green energy sectors. Um... So this is, I think, is a big thing because, one, I think it proved that at the end of the day, what Kaepernick did forced a national conversation, but it also got some he's – not, he's not only investing, but he got – He's these, leading the new right. revolutionaries, and I'm so, – listen. Right. So I think – We were just going to leave y'all with this quote. Um, I actually don't know what you're going to say. No, nah, I'm basically just going to say, you know what I'm saying, we stop faking the protest because once we actually protest, stick with it. It can work. It, it works. It's not yeah. can. It's been proven over and over again. Only thing us as 
African American people because I assume that most of our viewers, if not, we love you too. But to y'all, once we stick together, come to an agenda, and follow through and execute, we get a job done. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think the most important thing is that um, this should not be the last chapter. Amen. Amen. This should amen, only be amen. just the beginning. This and that's just the beginning. Yeah, and I think, like on some real shit, I think it's good because it's clear that Kaepernick's not done. Oh, he's, he, no, he's, he, he's, he's not he's, slowing he's, down. He's like this, he's this lap. His bro, 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 but like, he's like this lap. This is lap one. Like I think he he knows he's not gonna play in the league again. Well, I don't think he wants to actually. I don't think he does either. But I, but like in terms of like his activism and his like fighting oh, for causes, he's only going he's like here, this is yeah. this like hold my phone like oh oh. Henry, <laughs> ten episodes down, boy. What's going on, man? So we're going to try to come back at this another time before uh, before probably in April. So, Henry, man, Woo! 10 episodes in. Here's another 10 to go. Hey, we got the logo for y'all. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs>